it's good to be here this morning with you. I want to jump right in with a Project 9K update. Project 9K is our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ. We have challenged ourselves to read at least 9,000 books of the Bible in 2017. And to date, we have read 653 books of the Bible. So we're making good progress. People are plowing their way through books like Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and looking forward to the day they'll be in the minor prophets and those books will be clicking right off and our totals will go way up. But keep it up. Keep reading in the Word, because it is good to be in the Word. It's good to be in God's Word. It's wonderful that so many of us read and study our Bibles on a regular basis. But we also need to keep in mind, as this year's theme reminds us, we don't become disciples of Jesus Christ just by reading the Word. Now, being a follower of Jesus Christ is all about living the Word, living the word in our world. So I want to take just a moment and highlight three different ways that you can live the word in your world through your service to others. The number one reason, number one way that you can live the word is you can live the word in your world by serving those who are less fortunate than you. And right now, we have a need for some additional volunteers to distribute food from our food pantry on Tuesdays and Thursdays. If you can help with that ministry, even if you can help by just devoting one day out of a month, one two-hour shift out of a month, I encourage you to contact Talitha Payton. She'll give you all the different details about that and get you scheduled to be able to serve others. Number two, you can live the word in your world by serving our preschool children and by serving their parents. Starting next month, we need additional adult volunteers to lead our children's worship time during our worship services. If you think that you might be able to help out with that ministry, even if it's for one Sunday out of a quarter please contact Stephanie Doyle and she can give you all of those particulars and get you scheduled to do that. And finally, number three, you can live the word in your world by serving our elementary age kids. Starting next month in March, we need additional teachers and we need additional journeymen to help us continue to provide our outstanding Bible class program. So if you have an interest in serving our elementary kids, please contact Brianna Cleghorn or Sherry Miller, and they can tell you all about Journeyland and how you can help in that ministry. And if you're not sure about how to contact any of those ladies, just contact us at the church office, and we will put you in contact with them so that you can serve other people and you can live the world in your world. As we get ready to learn more about Jesus from the Gospel of John, let's pray together. Father, we come before you as hungry people. And Father, we confess that we try to to meet our hunger by chasing after all kinds of different food. Only to find out, Father, that we're still hungry. And Father, our prayer this morning is that you will help us to turn to your son, Jesus Christ, who is living bread. Father, help us to feast on Jesus, the bread that when we eat of it, we will never be hungry again. 
Father, give us that strength. Father, give us a true hunger for true food. We pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the bread of life. Amen. Well, as Jack mentioned, we're going to be spending our time in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John this morning. You might want to go ahead and turn over there now. As Jack also mentioned, there is a lot going on in this chapter. There's so much going on in this chapter that we won't even begin to address all of the things that are going on. What we're going to do, though, is we're going to narrow our focus. We're going to put a spotlight on what I think is the central question that is raised in this chapter, in John chapter 6. And that central question that is raised in John chapter 6 is triggered by two different events. One of those events is near the beginning of the chapter, and one of those events is near the end of the chapter. Think of these two events as the bookends of the chapter, if you will. And what strange bookends they are. They're strange bookends because there is such a dramatic shift in the way that the crowds respond to Jesus. So let's look at those two bookends. And then let's try to answer what I think is the central question raised in John chapter 6. So here's bookend number one. You'll remember that the chapter opens just as Jesus and his disciples have crossed over by boat to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. They probably thought that they were going to have some solitude there, but that isn't the case. A large crowd of people followed them to the other side of the sea. And they follow them because they have witnessed the miraculous signs that Jesus has been performing by healing sick people. So Jesus and his disciples and this crowd are in this remote place. There are lots of people. And it's mealtime. And they're hungry and no one has any food. Well, no one that is except for a boy. A boy who's brought to Jesus by Andrew. And this boy has five small loaves of bread and he has two fish. But as Andrew says, how far will this little bit of food go among so many people? Well, we're about to find out how far that little bit of food will go. John 6 and verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw this miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. But Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So that's the way our story begins. This great crowd has gathered to see Jesus. And they're there because they have seen the signs. They've seen the miraculous healings that Jesus had been performing on the sick. They knew something remarkable was going on. And they were there because they wanted to see more. And they're in luck. It's meal time. They're hungry. 
There's very little food, and Jesus feeds them. From five little loaves and two fish, he miraculously feeds this crowd of 5,000 men. These are men that are eating, and he gives them all they can eat and even more. They're in luck. It's another miracle. It's another sign. They got exactly what they were looking for. And this crowd doesn't need any more convincing. They say, surely this is the prophet who was to come. They begin to plan and they begin to plot and they begin to talk among each other and make their plans to force Jesus. Force him to be their king, to be their ruler, to be their leader. Because all the signs point to the fact that they have finally found someone who's worth following. That's bookend number one. But then we fast forward through the chapter. We get to the end of the story and we read bookend number two. We find it in John chapter six and verse 66. We read these heartbreaking words from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's a pretty dramatic shift, isn't it? To go from wanting to make Jesus your king, wanting to make him your king by force, to turning your back on Jesus and no longer following him. And that's what raises the central question that we want to try and answer today. Why this sudden change in attitude towards Jesus? What happened in this very short period of time that caused the very same people who were ready to crown Jesus as their king to simply turn and walk away from him? Well, as we go through the story, we're going to see that there are three things that happened that caused the people to turn and walk away from Jesus. First, we'll see that their appetite for living bread didn't match their appetite for loaves of bread. Their appetite for living bread didn't match their appetite for loaves of bread. We're going to see that the crowd's hunger for physical food was much stronger than their hunger for spiritual food. And secondly, we'll see that the crowd walked away from Jesus because they found out that Jesus wasn't offering a free lunch. You see, as long as Jesus was offering miracles and blessings and free food without expecting anything in return, the crowd was anxious to follow him. But when Jesus began to make demands, when he began to set expectations for his followers... Then this throng turned and walked away. And thirdly, we'll see that the crowd walked away because they sought a king who would satisfy their desires. And instead, Jesus offered himself as a king who would satisfy their needs. See, this crowd knew what they wanted in a king. But Jesus offered them what they needed in a king. The crowd wanted a king that would fix their problems in this life. But Jesus was focused on eternal life. And make no mistake, the Jews had lots of different appetites, lots of different hungers. 
But as a people, their greatest hunger was a return to the glory days. Their greatest hunger was a return to the days of King David and the days of King Solomon. A return to the days of independence. A return to the days of relevance. A return to the days of prominence. A return to the days of prosperity. And especially a return to the days of power. And all these signs pointed to Jesus as being the king who could take them back to those glory days. So no wonder they were ready to forcefully crown Jesus as their king. Because what a king Jesus would be. Think about it. Who better to lead you into battle, into a a battle for independence from the Roman Empire than a king who heals the sick? Who better to lead you into battle than a king who's able to miraculously produce an abundance of food out of almost nothing? You can almost hear the wheels turning in the minds of the crowd. As they look around at these 5,000 men who are gathered, they're thinking, can't you just imagine what we can accomplish with an army, even an army of just 5,000 men? Imagine what we can accomplish if the sick and the injured are miraculously healed by the king. Imagine what you can accomplish with an army, even an army of just 5,000 men, if you never had to worry about running out of food. So yeah, all signs pointed to Jesus as being exactly the kind of king that they wanted. The kind of king who could lead them back to the glory days. So imagine the crowd's surprise when they went to bed at night and then woke up the next morning and Jesus was gone. And there weren't any more signs. You'll probably remember what happened next. Jesus had retreated up into the hills and his disciples had decided to row back to the other side of the lake. And as they're rowing back, the wind picks up and the waves pick up and their progress is slow going across the water. And then Jesus shows up walking across the water. And after the disciples get over their initial fright, they welcome Jesus into the boat and miraculously they find themselves instantly on the far shore. It's an amazing story. Unfortunately, it's a different sermon for a different day. Let's get back to what happens with our crowd. Well, the crowd wakes up in the morning. They realize that Jesus and his disciples are gone. And so what do they do? Well, they jump in boats. They go to the other side of the lake, and they look for Jesus and the disciples. So let's pick up the story in verse 25. When the crowd found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and because you had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. 
So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Well, sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's skip down to verse 41. And at this, the Jews begin to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Well, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Well, no wonder the disciples in verse 60 said, this is a hard teaching. Because it is a hard teaching. And it's not a hard teaching because Jesus is in some way promoting cannibalism about eating flesh and drinking blood. No, it's a hard teaching because Jesus is calling on the crowd to do something that we all find really hard to do. We all struggle when we're called to change our thinking, don't we? We all find it difficult to see things differently than we have always seen those things, don't we? We find it hard to believe that our desires and our appetites aren't a true reflection of our true needs, don't we? 
we all find it hard. We all find it hard when we think that we've got everything figured out. When we think that we've accurately read all of the signs. We find it hard to accept that we don't have it figured out. We find it hard to to discover that we haven't accurately read all of the signs. Don't we? So when Jesus invites this crowd to redirect their hunger, redirect their hunger from mere bread and fish to fill their tummies, redirect it from that hunger to the hunger for the living bread, the living bread that will satisfy all of their true hunger, all of their true needs, the living bread that's standing right in their midst. They find it hard. And so they do what we do. They grumbled, they complained, and many of them ended up walking away. And they grumbled and they complained and they walked away because they had a problem with signs. They had a problem reading the signs. You see, they thought the signs, they thought the miracles, they thought that those were the point. But we need to understand that the signs and the miracles were never the point. They weren't ever the point. They were just the pointers. The signs and miracles were the pointers. The healings and the miraculous production of food, they pointed to the point. They pointed to Jesus. They pointed to Messiah. They pointed to the true bread of life. They pointed to the living bread that was standing right there in their midst. That can be the problem with signs, can't it? See, sometimes we mistake the sign as something that is significant instead of understanding that the signs point to what is significant. Let me give you an example. In case you didn't know, and gentlemen, if it's been kind of frosty around your house since Tuesday, this could explain why this past Tuesday was Valentine's Day. And what do we do on Valentine's Day? Well, we give gifts, right? We give cards and we give flowers and we give candy and we give chocolate. We give jewelry. We give gifts. And those gifts are supposed to be a sign, Regardless of what some people might tell you about chocolate, chocolate is not love. Chocolate points to love. The gifts aren't love. They point to love. And if we only focus on the gifts, we lose sight of what is important. If we only focus on the signs, we lose sight of what the signs are pointing to. We lose sight of the love that motivated those gifts. See, the gifts aren't the point. The gifts are signs pointing to the point. And for this crowd, the food that they ate beside the lake, that wasn't the point. The food wasn't what mattered. No, the bread and the fish pointed to what matters. Those things pointed to Jesus. They pointed to the living bread. And the crowd brings up Moses. And Jesus reminds them that Moses, Moses who gave their ancestors life in the desert with manna and water, Moses wasn't the point. 
No, Moses was pointing to the source of the manna. He was pointing to the source of the water. Moses was pointing to God, the source of all life. See, the tragedy in this story is that Jesus, the word become flesh, is standing right in their midst. And they're so focused on the flesh, so focused on food and water, so focused on miracles, so focused on independence and glory and power. They're so focused on the flesh that they fail to see and hear the word The word became flesh who's standing right in their midst. And so many of them simply walk away. And so for us, what a tragedy. What a tragedy it would be if we fail to see and we fail to hear the word become flesh. Because our appetites for the living bread doesn't match our appetite for loaves of bread. Our appetite for the flesh. So as we end, I want to remind us, and I want us to together affirm for us that Jesus Christ is the living bread. Jesus Christ is the only bread that gives true life. Can you affirm that with me by saying, Amen? Jesus is the only bread that gives true life. And I want to remind us and I want us to affirm together that when Jesus gave himself bodily, gave himself in the flesh, when he came to this world in the flesh and when he came to this world with living blood pumping through his veins, when he went to the cross and when he died as a man, can we affirm together with an amen that Jesus is the one who gives life to the world? Can we affirm with an amen that Jesus is the one who gives life to the world? We'll get there. I know we can do this. And I want to remind us and I want us to affirm together that Jesus and only Jesus is the true bread who came from the Father in heaven above. Can I get us to say amen in affirmation to that? You guys are getting there. All right. And I want to remind us and I want us to affirm together that Jesus is the only bread that we should ever desire. Can I get an amen? And I want to remind us and I want us to affirm together that Jesus and only Jesus is the true meaning of the manna story. Jesus proves that our God provides. Jesus proves that our God gives good gifts. Jesus provides proves that our God provides our needs and our God and only our God gives eternal life. Can I get an affirmation by saying amen? Amen. And I want to remind us and I want us to affirm together that when we come to Jesus, when we truly make him our living bread, it's then that we're given the life that endures for. Ever can I get us to affirm that by saying amen? amen? We're almost there. And I want to remind us, and I want us to affirm together that when we do come to Jesus and when we do make him our living bread, it's then 
that we finally find our desires directed by him to our true end, to our proper end, to life eternal with our God. Can we affirm that by saying amen? See, this is a story about bread. But it's not a story about five loaves beside the sea. It's a story about living bread. And in this story, Jesus teaches us what it means to follow him and what it really means to eat the bread of life. And as Jesus teaches us, Jesus is also inviting us He's inviting us to move from seeing him just for what he does to seeing him for who he really is. Yes, Jesus heals. Yes, Jesus comforts. Yes, Jesus provides. And all those things are signs. Those are signs that point to who he really is. He's the living bread. He's the savior of the world. And as Jesus teaches us, we learn from Jesus that he has offered himself as the greater miracle. Jesus has offered himself as the greater meal. A meal that doesn't satisfy the hunger of just 5,000 men beside the lake, but the meal that satisfies the hunger of the entire world. Jesus offers himself as a miracle that's the greater than healing the sick and a meal greater than feeding 5,000. Jesus offers himself as living bread that brings eternal life. And we need to understand that that has to be enough. Jesus has to be our living bread. To borrow some words from our wedding services. He has to be our living bread for better and for worse. For richer and for poorer. In sickness and in health. When we're hungry and when we're full. You see, Jesus is inviting us to redirect our desires. Those desires that we chase after, our desires for food, our desires for riches, our desires for power, our desires for influence. Jesus is inviting us to redirect those desires to a desire for the food that never perishes, never spoils, never fades. The bread of eternal life. And as we end, I have to end with a word of caution for all of us. Because there's one more thing that we learn from this story. See, we learn from this story that Jesus seeks and Jesus invites. But we also learn that Jesus never chases. He didn't chase after those who turned their backs and walked away. See, Jesus doesn't chase by softening the message. Jesus doesn't chase by reducing the demands. Jesus never expands the menu. Think about that. Jesus never expands the menu. So we don't come to Jesus asking for a a meal of power with a side of Jesus. 
We don't ever come to Jesus asking for a meal of influence with just a little side of Jesus. We don't come to Jesus asking for a meal of anything with just a little side of Jesus. No, Jesus is the menu. And we have to decide if that's going to be enough. So we affirm that Jesus is the bread of life. And we affirm that our hope is built on nothing more than Jesus. And we also affirm that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. And let's stand and let's sing about our hope in Jesus, the living bread. Savior, like a shepherd,